0: here at about 7 a.m. this morning and turned the air down to about 65, but when all of y'all come in, that body heat just turns it up, buddy, I tell you, it's running wide open. This is exactly why we're building a new facility, well, part of the reason, but we are under construction, praise the Lord, they're still digging and still getting ready to build, and we're, we're making it happen, so uh, anyways, I am, I am super uh, glad that we are. But if you would go ahead and open your Bible to a passage, You have a little different message today <clears throat> than normal because I'm wrapping up a series. And what I like to do is when we wrap up a series of messages, I want to kind of tie the last message. I want it to kind of tie it all together and be very uh, practical application for you. How do I take God's words and the truths that God's word and the, the truths that we've learned through a series, and how do I apply it in daily life? It's critical. If we don't do that, then sermons just become information. And very few of us just need more information. Uh, most of us don't need ought to sermons. I think we need how to sermons. We didn't know how to apply God's Word in our lives. Um, coming very soon, while you're turning to the book of the Revelation, last book of the Bible, chapter 14, got some fantastic guest speakers lined up soon um, on August the 26th. Dr. Terry Powell will be here for us from Columbia International University. He's one of my professors. He was here a while back and did our Sunday school workshop for us. Uh, On Sunday, September the 9th, I'll be here, but we're going to have also uh, Dr. Danny Aiken from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, the president there. He's a blessing man. He is a fireball. You're going to love him, and uh, boy, he has a head and a heart for Jesus and you are going to be blessed. So we'll get to those and let you know a little more about it down the road. Um, but uh, tonight is a special night where we're just going to come tonight at 6 o'clock and hang out. I'm going to have everybody, I need somebody really extroverted who will help me get a name tag on everybody who comes tonight. Because what we're going to do, no real agenda except we're just going to eat and talk. We're going to have what Baptists do, right? Eat and talk. <coughs> but we're going to uh, have a deli style fellowship. Now, for some of you, that may mean you want to bring a sandwich uh, already prepared, enough for you and your family and one person. Um, or you might just want to bring a platter with some cheese or meat or bread or whatever. It, it, there's no agenda. We're just going to hang out. We'll all put a name tag on. I just want to get to know you a little bit better. And uh, so from about 6 to 8 p.m., we're going to do that tonight. Now, as we wrap up this series on the gospel... For believers we typically think of sharing the gospel with people who are unchurched people who haven't believed on Jesus yet and we sometimes identify or equate the gospel (coughs) with what we would typically call the plan of salvation but the gospel is much broader much wider and I believe the gospel is something that every single believer regardless of how long he or her has been a believer needs to preach to themselves I need to be reminded constantly and I need to remind me because I can't depend on the world to remind me. I can't depend on my job to remind me or my problems in life to remind me, but I need to be reminded every day that I was lost, that I was hopeless, that I had no chance of heaven and uh, that I was condemned. And then Jesus came and Jesus made a way for me, Jack Holmesley, to get back to the Father to be in a right relationship with God, to have all of my sins forgiven. Uh, I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to earn that. In fact, I couldn't earn it. But by grace, he saved me. That helps me to get through the problems that life gives to me. Now, <clears throat> that life gives to me. Now, life gets really tough at times. Would you agree with that? And I don't mean a little bit tough. I'm talking about when life gets to the point that you and I are questioning whether life is even worth living. You ever been there? Some of you have. A lot of you have. But some of you wouldn't admit it. Some of you do. It's okay. Life just gets hard. I believe it gets that way for all of us at one point or another. I want you to listen to this stable, to the, to this story. It's it's a case history. I think it'll it'll illustrate what I'm talking about. <coughs> case history. True. Not from my counsel, but from another person. As I looked across the table at her, I could still see the pain in her eyes. She had been rejected years ago, but the hurt was still fresh. Linda had grown up in a Christian family and had harbored dreams of working with young children, showing them the love of Jesus Christ. Early, she met a young man at a Christian youth camp, and they were married. He was going to be a lawyer, but he could have been a pastor. That's how people felt about him. When they both walked down the aisle, it would be the beginning of a great life together. But Linda's dreams were shattered only a few years into the marriage. She was pregnant with their third child when her husband announced that he was walking out on her, leaving the marriage. He was in love with someone else, another man. When I look at her to this day, what I see is a survivor. A woman who has been through life's worst trials. Abandoned by her husband, Linda had to work two jobs to support those children. She saw two of her children then get involved in extreme drug and alcohol abuse. And then three years ago, she nearly died from a quadruple bypass when I first heard her story my thought was that's really unfair all she wanted to do and all she was trying to do was to have a good Christian family but instead somehow she had to struggle every day just to barely survive now be honest how does that story make you feel let me ask you a question. Be truthful. Be honest. You don't have to answer it out loud. But really, be honest. God can handle it. <laughs> do you sometimes feel that God has been unfair with you? I do. I've felt that way. All you've tried to do was do what was right, and you're trying to live for Him, and you're trying to get a few ducks in a row, and then right when you do, something else crashes down, and then right when that crashes down, something else crashes down, and somebody else wrongs you at Do you sometimes feel and wonder, honestly, in your quiet moments, maybe some not-so-quiet moments, do you sometimes feel that God shortchanged you? We'd all have to confess, wouldn't we, if we were open and honest, that at times it feels that way. Times times, life will just throw such curveballs at you and such pain and tragedy. I've felt that way for people. I've seen them have one child who gets sick, and another child gets sick, and another child. And then the mom or the dad gets sick and die. And I'm going, God, what in the world are you doing? My God, this just doesn't make sense. Some of it seems incredibly incredibly unfair at times. And And the tough thing is, a lot of times we don't get the answers in this life, do we? Now, as we wrap up this series on the gospel for believers, I want to show you one of the real secrets, one of the real keys to overcoming the deep, painful incidences and struggles of life because every single one of you, every single one of us, without exception, will face a time When life will seem unfair and extremely unfair and God will seem extremely silent and in those times what happens is you enter into a time when the enemy will attack you with all the ferocity he can to try to discourage you, to dishearten you, to weaken your faith and to cause you to doubt God and abandon the mission of God. And all out of salt on our faith Now in order to understand the solution that that we've been talking about, which is preaching the gospel to yourself, we first have to understand a bit of the process of why we respond the way we do to tragedy and to trouble and crisis situations. So I'm going to spend a few minutes doing this, okay, first I'm going to lay some groundwork and then I'm just going to give you some very quick application and we'll be done. But here's the process of how discouragement works in the life of a a believer and, frankly, unbelievers. But here's how the process works apart from the power of Christ. And so what I'm going to do is go ahead and get our uh, PowerPoint guide. Go ahead and pull up. There you go. First of all, every single one of us has in our heart, in our mind, if you will, some very deep-seated beliefs. Uh, some of them are true, some of them are false. Most of them are false. We learn these beliefs usually about who we are and who God is very early in our lives, usually around ages six, seven, or eight. These thoughts about who we are, about our worth, about do we matter? Am I going to be successful, or am I smart, or am I stupid, or am I beautiful, or am I ugly? We we start forming these in our mind very, very early early deep ingrained beliefs and uh, we come up with some false beliefs unless you were raised by perfect parents unless you were raised in a perfect environment that doesn't exist you're going to get about four false beliefs in your mind they won't be phrased exactly like this but listen and see if you can identify them as I do number one I must meet certain standards in order to feel good about myself I mean, we notice that, don't we? We go out in life, and if we do something, and we do it really, really well, even as a little kid, there's a great amount of pleasure and reward that comes with that, and that makes us feel good. It makes us feel validated. I must meet certain standards to feel good about myself and to accept myself. Another false belief that most of us grow up with is this one. I must have the approval of others, certain other people, in order to accept myself. Uh imagine and all of us could probably think back to a time in our life very young when we just made maybe a childish mistake and a really important person criticized us i can still remember doing something one time when i was a kid and my father looking at me and saying you are so stupid and to this day that's what i struggle with deep down if i could look into a mirror and it would show my soul and i could put away everything i've learned in christ And you said, Jack, who are you? Who are you at your core? You know what I'd say? I'd say, I'm a really dumb guy. I rarely get anything right, and I don't know why anybody would come listen to me preach. It's a false belief, but it's ingrained. And every time I mess up, it pops right to the top like a cork. Another false belief that we sometimes get very early in our life is this. Those who fail are unworthy of love and they deserve to be punished sometimes we spend a lot of our time punishing ourselves you know why we punish ourselves we beat ourselves so we won't do that dumb thing again right and and we punish ourselves or we can the outworking of this is maybe we can become perfectionistic and we put those perfectionistic demands on everybody around now perfectionists are great people to have working for you they're just lousy people to work for right So to me, I mean, it isn't. Now, I'm not talking about just something having to be done right. I mean something just having to be done perfect. So those who fail are unworthy of love. Another one, these all lead and build on one another, but another one is this, and it's the fourth final one that I'll just cover quickly. I am who I am. I cannot change. This is hope. I mean eventually you get told enough negative stuff for a long time and enough critical stuff for enough time and you just eventually think you know this is who I am. You don't now you don't say I did something dumb you say I am dumb. You don't say I did something ugly you say I am ugly. And it becomes your identity and and so we all have them we've all unless we had perfect That picture's your head, that circle. You have them, I have them. Certain core beliefs, in honesty, we struggle with them, and they bite us more often than we realize. Go to the next slide. Here's what happens in life. We come along, and situations impact those beliefs. Let's say that uh, for me, the belief is that I'm dumb, and a situation impacts it. Let's say I just make a statement, I don't know, Something, I wasn't paying attention and I say something and somebody rolls their eyes in an important meeting or somebody m- cuts it down my remark or says, Holmesley, really? You came up with that? Instantly my dad's voice will say inside of my head, you dummy. Because here's what happens. The situations impact those beliefs. And just, now listen to me, just like that. Those beliefs, those deep-seated false beliefs produce, go to the next slide. They produce a thought. I mean, it happens just like this. You have these deep-seated beliefs, and somehow a situation impacts that, and immediately those beliefs will spin out a thought. For me, it would be, you stupid idiot. Why did you open your mouth? You're so dumb. I mean, that will just happen so quick, and that thought will just be produced. Now, beliefs produce thoughts, and guess what thoughts produce? Go to our next slide. Thoughts produce emotions. Uh, If I think a stupid thought, uh, if I have that thought, you know, boy, that was a stupid thing you just did. You're so dumb. How will I begin to feel? Sad, depressed, upset with myself. I'll begin to feel sad. And uh, understand this. Thoughts always produce emotions. When we have thoughts in our mouth you know if you ask somebody why are you so sad a lot of times now here's what they'll do if you say why are you so sad that's what they're feeling you'll say they'll they'll go back to where the situation well i'm sad because so-and-so said to me in a meeting you're an idiot that was stupid but it's not the situation the reason we are feeling so sad is because what We're thinking sad thoughts. If you think sad thoughts, you'll feel sad. And some people are at a loss as to why they feel the way they do. Or even worse, they they believe their emotions are just a direct result, like I showed you of some situation. But if that's true, if a situation can cause me to instantly feel a certain way, then guess what? I'm at the mercy of every situation that's going to happen to me. I have no control over my emotions. That is not the case because we know, haven't you seen some people go through the almost identical situation and yet one handles it well, doesn't even bother them, they shake it right off, another person crushes them. It crushes them. So it's not the situation, I mean that's what we do in marriage, why are you so angry? We say to our spouse, well because you're such a jerk. I wouldn't be such a, you know, crappy husband if you weren't such a crappy wife, right? Or, you know, well, if you were married to somebody like you, you'd be pretty bad too. No, the reason that we're sad or happy or whatever is because of the thoughts we're thinking. If I'm thinking sad thoughts, I'm going to be feeling sad. Um, The next slide will show you little more of it, and eventually emotions produce actions. won't spend a lot of time here. I'm just wanting you to see this process because this happens just like that, all the way, at least all the way to the emotions, to right there. Situation impacts you, your beliefs, deep-seated ones about who you are and about who God is, spin out a thought, and those thoughts will produce an emotion. You get to that point so quick, like it just happens. you're like, oh, you dummy. Mm, man you already feel sad and so eventually if you keep feeling depressed or feeling sad how will you act you'll act sad you'll act depressed and so all of that takes place very very quick but what I want to teach you is the gospel's solution to this problem and so go to our next slide and you're going to notice a difference to what I did to the emotions circle because again, I promise you, and I hate this is so old school using a laser pointer, but it does help. I want to help you build a wall right there, so to speak, because this process happens so quick. A situation impacts our beliefs, it spins out a thought, and immediately, boom, we feel that emotion, and we want to stop it before we get to, to living ungodly actions or unhealthy actions, and so a lot of times, though, what we do is when we feel pain, we feel bad, then we start working on the emotions. You've got to cheer up. Just be happy. Have you ever heard anybody tell you that when you're sad? Just be happy. I was telling my wife that one day. Just get over it. We'd had an argument. I said, just get over it. She said, I can't just get over it. Like, I can't just quit feeling hurt and then just be happy the next moment. Amen, ladies? <laughs> All right. Men are easier to compartmentalize. We can get out of it a little bit quicker every now and then but not ladies sometimes, and not even men, if truth be told. But you ever had somebody, just cheer up, just cheer up. I mean it. If you don't cheer up, you tell your kids, you know, I'm going to whip you. doesn't work too well. can't command happiness. Well, what I want you to understand is, like in this life, we say, well, I feel bad, so I'll go get something to help me feel better. If I had that new house, I'd feel better. If I had a new spouse, I'd feel better. If I had a new home, I'd feel better. If I had a car, I'd feel better. You know, if it's red and went 120 miles an hour, I'd feel better. If I was drunk or high, I'd feel better. And so we attack the emotions. But the emotions really aren't the problem why are you feeling sad it's because you're what thinking sad thoughts why are you thinking sad thoughts it's not because of that nope 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 it's because of the deeply held beliefs behind every sinful action you and i ever commit every sin we're believing lie and your emotions are not your enemy you know we we spend medicine and money and stuff tries to cure the emotional pain The charismatic uh, church tries to attack the thoughts. Just confess. Just think. I am. I think I am. I think I can. I think I can. Just think positive thoughts, and you know, you'll 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 get out of it. Yeah, that doesn't seem to work long either, because reality sets in. Somewhere we got to get back to these false beliefs, these lies we're believing, and do something. So I want you to see your emotions when you begin Now, does God have emotions? Does God have emotions? Certainly, God has emotions. He feels joy. He feels pain. He feels anger. Is God ever overwhelmed by his emotions and overcome? No, he's never overcome by his emotions because, first of all, he knows himself perfectly. He knows who he is. He doesn't have any false beliefs about who he is, and he knows the situation thoroughly. Right? He knows what's going to happen, and, and he's not in any fear or anything. So, so God is never overwhelmed. Consequently, he's never overwhelmed by his emotions. Um, so I'm not saying get rid of your emotions. Here's what I want to say. Learn that your emotions are your friends. As you go through daily life, it's okay if you feel a little sadness. It's okay if you feel even a decent measure, a good measure of, of uh, grief or things like that it is not okay for you and I to be overwhelmed and controlled by those emotions for a long period of times because eventually that will result in what? Poor actions. Now, God gave us our emotions as a warning system. I was a mechanic for years, so I I like to think of them as a What your emotions are telling you, if you're feeling overly sad for an extended period of time, then you've been thinking the wrong thoughts for a long period of time, and why are you thinking those thoughts? It's telling you you are believing a lie. I believe that your emotions are what I would call a God-given deception detection device. They're God's way, just like a fever would tell you physiologically you got something in you that's wrong and you need to deal with that. Your emotions will tell you You're believing something in your mind, you're believing it, and you're thinking about it too much, and you're dwelling on it too much. I kind of like, as I said I was a mechanic, the idea of an oil light on the dash. Now, we always call them idiot lights, because typically when the light comes on, your engine's trash anyway, but let's say you're driving down the road in your car, and all of a sudden the oil light, the oil warning light comes on. It's indicating a problem, isn't it? liken it to your emotions. Now, there's a lot of ways that you can deal with that red glowing light that's just blinding you in the face. You could uh, deal with it the way we deal with a lot of our emotions. You could deal with it by force. You could reach into the back seat if you had one, get a hammer out and break that red light out. (laughs) Problem solved, right? Mm Mm-mm. No, no, no. No, no, no. Because the problem is there's lack of oil in the engine. And... uh, But do we ever deal with our emotions that way? Force? I mean, you chew on me long enough, I'll chew you back, right? All right? I'll tell you another way you could do it. You could reach into that same back seat. You have all this handy stuff in your back seat. It's amazing. Just get out a roll of masking tape, and you can cover up that red light, right? That's problem fixed, right? Yeah, amen. (laughs) Do we ever try to cover up our emotions when we're in pain? Do we ever try to cover up mask our emotions? Uh, I'll tell you another way. If you're a little more mechanical and you really want to solve the problem, I'll tell you a great way. You can actually get up under the dash, and you can take that little socket out of of the dash, and you can take that bulb out of the socket. Just remove the bulb and stick it right back in there. Problem solved, right? Mm Mm-mm. No. No, listen. Why is the light on? because there's a problem with the amount and the proper viscosity of oil that you're putting in your engine, something. There's something wrong with the oil in the engine. So the proper way is to stop the car, pull the car over to then go through the proper procedure to check the oil, make sure it's on level ground, take it out, wipe it off, stick it back in, take it out, is it low, is it full? How much does it need? What kind of oil does it use? And so you put the right oil, the right viscosity, the right amount. And you put it in the oil, you check it, you double check it, you make sure it's in the engine, you get back in, you turn the key on, and guess what? The light's out, and the car runs. You don't want to cover up your emotions. They're your friend. You don't want to use force and yell at people and scream at them and curse at them and try to get rid of your thoughts and your depression. You don't want to your anger. You don't want to just deaden your emotions because if you're being overwhelmed by your emotions, that's God's warning light trying to tell you, hey, hey, you're believing a lie. Here's the problem. You're believing a lie. And so I want to teach you this very quickly. We'll go to the next slide. (laughs) Gets more and more confusing. You should have been the one trying to draw these. Let me just stand here. All right, so we talked about it, right? You've got beliefs. Going back to the original thing, situation impacts you. Whatever you believe about yourself or God, whatever lie, if it's a lie, you'll get a, a lie for a thought, and you'll get a lie for emotions, and if you keep on, you'll wind up with terrible actions that are destructive, right? I can't stop this. I don't know how to deal with this. I'm just never going to make it past this. I'm stuck. It's never, and you wind up in that, that, those false beliefs. I cannot change. This is the way it's always going to be. It's hopeless. No, it's not. No, it's not. Why are you acting the way you act? Because you're feeling the way you feel. Why are you feeling the way you feel? Because of the thoughts you're thinking. Why are you thinking the wrong thoughts all the time? Because you've got some wrong beliefs about the situation. So when your emotions clue you in, the next time you begin to think, I am just getting overwhelmed, I can't get past this, What you need to do is say, oh, that's my oil light going off. That's what Jack talked to me about. And you know what? I'm not going to blame it on my husband. He may be a jerk, but he can't control me. She may be a pain, but I can't be at every person's mercy out here who is a pain. So you trace it back to the truth or to the lie that you're believing. So you detect it by your emotions. You reject it. You say, in the name of Jesus Christ, I reject that belief that I'm worthless. I reject the belief that this will never change. In the name of Jesus Christ, God, you have told me that I am more than a conqueror through him who first loved me. So you, you detect it, you go back to the belief, and you reject it. You see it? And then you replace it with gospel truth. When you get gospel truth in your mind... You say you know what no weapon formed against me shall ever prosper i am a child of the king i was on my way to hell and jesus saved me jesus rescued me and things may never be right in this life but they will be right in the next and i'm going to rule and reign with jesus you know what you're going to be a hundred years from now if you know jesus do you know jesus as your savior if you're if you know jesus you know what you're going to be doing a hundred years from now You're going to be ruling and reigning with Jesus. You know, if you were born the next king or queen of England, somewhere along the line, you would pick it up. You would say, it doesn't really matter if I'm not the best looking guy or girl in the world. Uh, Doesn't really matter. I'm going to be the next king of England. If you didn't hit all your potty marks on time, it's all right. You don't understand. I'm going to be the next king of England. If you aren't the most graceful or beautiful person, it doesn't matter. See, I'm somebody. Let me tell you something. If you know Jesus Christ, you're somebody. You're somebody. You don't have to try to be somebody. You're somebody. Not based on who you are and what you've done and your accomplishments, your ability to be approved or disapproved. It's based on his. And what he has done for you, the gospel. And, and so, so, listen, whoever it is you would like to become in this life, it's less than who you already are. You're somebody. You're somebody. You're going to rule and reign with Jesus. And if you know him truly as your Savior, nothing can stop that. And so you learn to detect it when your emotions are overwhelming you You say, hey, I am believing a lie. Here's what the gospel says about that. And as you begin to think about, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. As you begin to think about if you've lost a loved one and you're overwhelmed with grief, you begin to think not that that person has died. You begin to think they are alive. They are with Christ. Because he lives, they shall live also. They are whole and they are new and they are with him. And I tell you what it'll do, it'll produce godly thoughts and godly thoughts will lead to godly emotions and godly emotions will eventually lead you to godly actions. Now that is the application of the whole series of messages. That's the application of the whole series of the messages. And here's how those truths kick in. The more, though, I am absorbed in God's word, and I know God's word and what it says about me as a believer, the more I understand about the gospel, the more truth I'll have to replace those lies when I realize that I'm being overwhelmed. You got it? And the more I am obsessed in what I have through Christ, that all my sins have been forgiven, that I'll never, con- there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That I'm fully and freely forgiven, that apart from any failures or any successes that I could ever have, I get to go to heaven and be with Him. The more absorbed I am in the gospel, the more grateful I can become in the midst of my circumstances, whatever they may be. If I were to take this glass and view it, as the water as God's blessings in my life, right? I could focus on the half of the cup that seems to be empty. I could negatively focus on all the things I don't have and what I've lost and what I, everybody else has, but I don't, but that, no. Or I could positively focus on the half of the cup that, that I do have and that's better But when I think about the gospel, listen, it, it cultivates within me a richer gratitude than either of those approaches. If I preach the gospel to myself, I'm reminded, now listen, that what I actually deserve from God is a completely full cup. But hear me, what I deserve is a cup that is full of the raging judgment of a holy and righteous God against me for all eternity, if it were not for Jesus a couple of verses to remind us and I told you this is non-typical, typically I'll go into the scripture and explain it, but go to the next verse of scripture I want you to remind yourself today I want to remind you what you deserve and what I deserve outside of Christ we don't get it, but this is what we deserve in the book of the Revelation it's describing what people will face when they face the judgment of God then a third angel, angel followed them, saying with a loud voice If anyone worships the beast and his image, that is people who would be lost, and they receive his mark in his forehead or on his hand, go ahead and go to the next one. He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. That person shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. That's a mention of the full cup, what we really deserve, the wrath of an infinitely holy God being poured out in the future on all mankind. Go to the next verse. Psalm 75, 8 says this. For a cup is in the hands of our Lord, and the wine is churning, it is boiling, it is well mixed, and he pours out of this his wrath. Surely all the wicked of the earth must drain and drink down to last drop. When I think about the truth of what Jesus has done for us, and I preach the gospel to myself, I am reminded that a full glass of God's wrath is what I would get. It would be mine to drink if it were not for Jesus Christ. And when I understand that, and I think about the suffering that I would have to endure if I were outside of Christ, I see that to be, listen, I see that to be handed a completely empty cup from God would be an incredible thing. Amen? If there were merely the tiniest drop of blessing contained in that otherwise empty cup, I should be absolutely blown away by the unbelievable kindness of God toward me. Not to mention that God has actually not only taken away the full cup of His wrath, but He has also given us a cup that is full of blessings in Christ Jesus. That blows me away. That blows me away, that I, Jack Holmes, get to enjoy that. And so when I preach the gospel for myself, whatever I may be going through, if I can remind myself of that, whether I have plenty or whether I'm in extreme need, I can see any situation as an infinite improvement on the hell I deserve. When I look at any circumstances that God gives to me or allows me to come into my life, I should first be grateful for the wrath that I'm not receiving at that moment. Amen? (laughs) An empty cup never looks so good. Secondly, I can be grateful for the blessings that he has given me instead of his wrath. Life's blessings, however small they may be, always appear precious when you view them against the back drop of the wrath of God that you actually deserve now when I view life like that in light of the gospel it helps me to give thanks in all things even in the toughest of situations it also gives more intensity to my giving of thanks it makes me want to come to church and actually sing and praise the Lord and that type of thinking generated by the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ leads us to godly emotions It leads us to godly actions, and it keeps us from becoming overwhelmed by negative, critical, false lies and emotions. It leads me to glorify God. It contributes to my peace of mind, and it keeps, ultimately, my feet from the paths of foolishness and ruin. Take control of your thought life. Bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. When you're doing that, you're preaching the gospel to yourself. Your husband's cruel. You say, thank God I'm not in hell. Your wife is mean. (laughs) You say, Lord, I could be burning. Why should I love him? Lord, because of the way you love me. Well, they treat me with contempt. Yeah, and I treated you with contempt, Father. That's the application of every message we've preached. the slow down, to control our thoughts, to remind ourselves of the gospel. And then to go out in the strength of the word of God and the spirit of God enabling us and live victorious lives. Even in the most cruel situations that can hound us, the terrible health, different things, we can still have joy because we're not going to hell. Amen? And we get to go to heaven. And we have Christ for a brother. And God for a father. And we get to spend eternity with the redeemed. And we'll be whole and healthy one day. No more sickness, no more pain. The former things have all passed away. Remind yourself of the gospel. That's why the gospel is for believers. That's why it's for you. And that's why it's for me. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the good news of Jesus. Thank you that you were willing to give your only son so that we could have life we could be forgiven and not perish lord if there are some here today who don't know you and they need to know you they want this forgiveness they want this salvation and they thought wow i don't i'm not a christian if i died would would that be my lot would i be in a lake of fire would would i be punished for eternity yes yes that's why you want to save us that's why this is called good news and that's why it's imperative that we get saved and know you and get rescued from wrath to come. Lord, I pray that you would help us this week to live according to the gospel and not according to our thoughts or our feelings, false beliefs. When our emotions overwhelm us, Lord, would you please remind us of the word that you have spoken to us through your spirit? Would you help us, Lord, not to count maybe our cursings, but to count, in a sense, our blessings? to really slow down this week and do that, to count the blessings that are ours in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's stand together. Just for a moment, we're going to sing a closing hymn. If you need prayer, man, I'm here for you. Ryan will be here. Uh, Just please uh, come. It's the time to, to pray. And if you need Christ, you come, and we'll tell you how you can become a Christian and how you can avoid hell and how you can go to heaven. You just come and just respond as the Spirit leads you, okay? All right. Dear Father, we do want to just come to you today and and thank you for the opportunity to gather here together. God, I pray that we will be able to leave here this morning knowing the reality, what our our destiny, what our fate should have been, what it can be and what it is in you, God. I pray that we will live, walk daily knowing your truth. We can be comforted in that truth and we will not let... Our thoughts, our emotions um, be guided but by this world, but by, by you, Father. Thank you for Jack and, and the message that he's given us. Let it impact our life daily. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Come back tonight, 6 o'clock.
1: I know place where we can go to lay our troubles down.